You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What's up, everybody? This podcast is brought to you by CasaTheRock.com. Go there, support the movement, cop some merch. Also, you can follow me at HoyerRock357 on Instagram. Keep up to date with everything smoking word, Madball, and Casa the Rock. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give the shit five-star ratings. Make sure you leave a comment and make it good. All right, everybody. My guest today, my boy, film director, um, New York City, hardcore OG, Boston OG, Drew Stone. All right, let's set it off. Welcome, welcome to the Smoking Word. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Smoking Word. word, 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 word. Yo, welcome to the Smoking Word, Drew. Are, 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 we live? Are, are we live now? Is it happening? It's happening, man. I got no time to play games. There's hey, people catching planes and all that type of shit. You're Let's popular do it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Yo, do it. I wanted to catch up with you. Anyway, eventually I was going to get to you anyway, but what made me want to kind of jump on it even more was um, I had Maddie Henderson and Willie on a couple episodes before that mm-hmm. dropping soon. And, you know, we were talking again about the videos and, you know, the old days. And of course, how could we talk about that without talking about Drew Stone? Yeah, man. Do you we want I mean? do we do we want to talk about the down the, the the down by law video? Yeah, we'll get by we'll get to that a little bit. You know, I want to okay. know first, you know, the typical one real quick bullshit is um I know what you've been kind of doing since yep. this has been going on with the the New York Hardcore Chronicles and the, yep. the New York Hardcore everything. Um what's up with that? I love it by the way. You know, I tune in it, it kind of it's like a live podcast, you know what I mean in real time, you know, kind of it's a sh- you know, it's the show. But it's um, I like how you how you you know you've been putting it together and keeping it fresh and sexy. Yeah, you know what I mean. For sure. I mean, what what happened was that this is the timeline of how it went down. Is that um, first off, you know, it's something I always kind of wanted to do, and when this when this whole pandemic thing hit early on. Somebody asked me to come on their show, like like a like a LA like a LA guy like who's in that rock thing in LA, Guns N' Roses and all that. Uh, Steven Adika is his name. He's from Canarsie. He grew he grew up with uh, Danny from Biohazard and those guys, and then he went out west and he started this little show. He asked me to come on to talk about um, my films and stuff. So I went on I went on his show and. Um, I saw the, the format that he does and he said, Hey man, you know, you, you, you gotta, um, you gotta subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to gain, gain people. So I, yeah, sure. Of course, you know, so I look and he's got like 550 subscribers on YouTube. And I think to myself, well, fuck, I have like almost 9,000 subscribers <laughs> on, on the stone films NYC page. Cause as you know, that Stone Films NYC YouTube page, I've been, I've been massaging that for 10 years now. Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. The, then this, this platform that, that called StreamYard also streams on Facebook. And he says, yeah, you know, it streams on Facebook. And I look and he's got a couple thousand Facebook people. And then I think to myself, well, wait a second. The New York Hardcore Chronicles page has 90,000 people on it. That's crazy. So... That got me thinking, you know what? Right here, right now, today, with what's going on in the world, I'm going to launch a New York hardcore, you know, 
kind of, you know, video streaming live podcast. And I, I, I launched it right away. I, I didn't wait to perfect it. I jumped right on it, you know, just it, like basically it, like the day after this pandemic thing started, you know, and um, it just took off. It just really took off. And I think a big part of the reason it took off, I believe, and this was just by chance, is that we do the show at three o'clock in the afternoon. And three o'clock in the afternoon is prime time over in Europe yeah. where people love New York hardcore. Absolutely. You know that. That's, that's our second home. You know that. Those are your people, man. Those are our people. Our people. You know? I, exactly. I mean, Berlin, Poland, France. Everywhere. Like they, yo, they love, they love <laughs> Madball. They love Agnostic Front. They love Sick of It All. And, you know, really, they love New York hardcore folklore. Yeah. And, like, that's what the New York Hardcore Chronicles Live is about. It's really about New York hardcore folklore. Yeah. No, it's great, and especially coming from you, because, you know, a lot of people may know and not know, you know, you have a lot, a lot of history, you know, Put it like this. When I first met you was with the biohazard guys and around that time, you know, doing the videos. Yep. I didn't know. I knew about <laughs> Antidote and all that, but I yeah, didn't yeah. know you were in the band. I didn't know you were that connected with, yep. you know, the real New York hardcore scene, not just punk rock or whatever, you know, kind of scene. And then the more I got to know you and the more I even, learned, you know, everybody got to learn history. I got thrown <laughs> out of high school. I didn't get thrown out of hardcore. <laughs> so you're always learning. But yeah. then I started, you know, again, the more I, you know, through, throughout the years, you know, it would be more like, oh, you know, I would hear about Antidote, and, but I didn't know a lot of the history. I knew they were older band and I knew the sound had changed, you yep. know, and whatever. And then I started kind of learning more about you as the years went on and the real deep rooted connection you have to New York hardcore and Boston hardcore, which, yeah. you know, that's the, the, the nucleus. You know, yeah, as as coast. it turned out, as it turned out, listen, I I'm born and I'm born in Queens, New York. You know, I, I grew up in Queens, Manhattan, and the Bronx. And then at um, at 18, I went to Boston to go to college at Emerson College to study acting. As soon as I showed up in Boston in in September of 1981, crazy. I I ended up connecting with some people right there in the school and. They, I went to my first hardcore show, which turned out to be a SS, SSD control show. Classic and, already. Yo, and there was nobody there. There was like 15 kids there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and back then, I mean, you, you remember, you, you know how it was back then. You see somebody that's a kindred spirit. You're like, you know, this, you know hey, who are you? What's up? Welcome. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I fell in, I fell in with those guys. I was one of the original, part of the, that original Boston crew. But, but what was happening was we would do road trips, like, like SSD would come down and play the A7 or come down and, or come down and play uh, CBGBs or come down and play 171A. And, and you, know, bought, you know how it was. You crew up back then. Yeah. You go down with your, with your squad and you represent on the dance floor. And that's when go, coming down to like, that's when I met Roger, all the, all the guys my age, uh -huh. Roger, you know, Vinny, Moses, uh, Jesus Christ, G Jimmy, G, Jimmy G, Jimmy G, Jimmy <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 G, uh, uh, Poseidon, uh, uh, <laughs> Ulysses, Ulysses, Ulysses. Yeah, Zeus, Zeus was going to show back then. 
but <laughs> but yeah and then and then i met i met those guys and then you know the thing in boston listen i i couldn't i couldn't i, I couldn't focus on school i was so wrapped up in this thing of ours this hardcore thing yeah. it was an exciting vibrant time and i just got pulled right into it i started a band up there called the mighty co's that fell apart and i came back to new york and when i came back to new york i started a band called the high and the mighty which which played a7 and cbgb's and then from there you know i joined antidote yeah and um what i was going to say is um what what was the first what were you all right did you hear punk rock first or did you go straight from what were you before the whole punk rock thing what were you listening to classic rock what was the what yeah was yeah so so growing up in new york city you know and hanging out in the you know going to i went to public school you know and and you know, I, I was going to I was going to John F. Kennedy High School in the Bronx when the whole hit when, when you know a hip a hop a hibba you know yeah. I remember being on on the on the um, the city bus you know when everybody had boom boxes yeah and everybody would tune into the same station right they every like the call would go out like yo ninety seven point five yeah and, and like fifteen boom boxes would tune into that and then <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so <laughs> You know, um, I, I grew up basically, yeah, classic rock was big. And, but the first, the first music I got into, like, you know, as a very young person, you know, Elvis Presley. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the staples, the Beatles, you know, and, and then classic rock, Led Zeppelin, you know, you know, hanging out in the park, drinking, you know, beer and, and, and smoking reefer, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> You know, you, you Led Zeppelin, Bad Company, you know, all the Leonard Skinner, you know, you, you know, you know, what really interesting. Um, my teenage years, I grew up in the Bronx. Southern rock was big in the Bronx. That is insane. Isn't that it? Is, that is really fuck. Look at, you know, it's crazy, but I used to diss let, um, Skinner to Maddie Henderson and Willie just because... <laughs> You tell him a 20, 20 year old kid yeah. from Corona Queens yeah, about yeah. Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> and I say, yo, they're not even from Alabama. They're from Florida. Yeah. So I had a lot of problems with them. But I'm one of their biggest fans now. Like, you know, obviously growing up in musicianship and all that, but they were punk rock and hardcore before they knew it. They really you know, were. They're, attitude wise and yeah. swag wise and all that. Yeah. Let me ask you this, though. So you got into it, you think uh, the more aggressive stuff, the first punk rock or whatever you heard first, was it sonically first hit, hitting you or the look or the whole, um, what do you call it? The whole... Um, the culture. Yeah, the it, culture it, it, of it, because it, 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 it hits everybody different. Yeah, for, for me, for me, uh, you know, going to those first, you know, those first shows in, in, in late summer of 81, what pulled me in was it was kids my age, you know, yeah. and before that, it was like idol worship. Oh, the Rolling Stones, you know, the Grateful Dead, uh, the Allman Brothers Band, Led Zeppelin, like untouchable rock gods. Yeah. I go to these shows and there's a community and a culture of kids my age and everybody was welcome. Yeah. It was like, if, you, if you're not doing a band, then you did a fanzine. If you're not doing a fanzine, you took pictures. If you're not taking pictures, you're promoting shows. So it was really the community and the culture that, that really uh, appealed to me. But also, I loved the music. And when I first got into it in 1981, you know, we could, you could go see Minor Threat. 
You could you you could go see the misfits. You could go see you know what Everybody, have you the, the, the dead the dead the dead Kennedys um, Black Flag. You know we or the Babrings. Like back then, eighty one, eighty two. Any chance we we had, any chance we got. We'd go see Minor Threat. We'd go see the Bad Brains. We'd go see Black Flag. Like when B- Black Flag came across the country to play, if, if, they, if they did like, you know, New York, Providence, Rhode Island, and Boston, we'd, we'd go to every show just because, you know. You, That's what you, yeah, yeah. You get, get it while you can. But, but, but there was a couple bands that were really special. The Bad Brains were one, and, and Minor Threat. Always, Minor Threat was really, they always delivered the goods. Yeah. You know? They, they were like, um, Obviously, I was never no straight edge kid or nothing. Yeah, but um, they were always they were a special band, you know. You know, style wise, everything about them, like, you know, about the straight edge thing, which is interesting, is when they first came out, they had a song called Straight Edge. You know, it wasn't a big deal. It was one song of, of many songs. It almost wasn't until later when bands like Youth of Today and and that next generation picked up on the straight edge thing then it really became something else but yeah. when mind of threat first came around the f- like the first time yeah it was a song yeah some people were straight edge but it, yeah. it, it really turned into like when you know when earth crisis and youth of today when those when those guys those guys really ramped it up to another level man which which was just sort of you know not really in my orbit you know yeah yeah no definitely you know um I definitely even when I, you know I came up way later than you. My I didn't come up to like since '88 was like when I first started going to shows. Yeah, and the youth crew thing was already there. But yeah. even then, I knew because I always knew straight edge kids. It, to, to us, you know, in New York, nobody cared if you were you know you're already a weirdo if you were going to shows. <laughs> you know that's what I say. Um, um, the the hardcore scene was the bottom of the septic tank. That's Absolutely. what all the the, the the garbage or what what people said was the garbage and the shit all. Fell so you were next to artists, cross dressers, drug dealers, punk rockers, hip hop guys, um, strippers, dominatrix, you know, especially right, especially in like in those like in those days, and even earlier on. What 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 has one thing that's been sort of lost in the swirling sands of time is that when New York when hardcore when let's I'll keep it local when New York hardcore was coming out of the gate hip-hop was coming out of the gate so in the early 80s you know they were both running head to head they were both two real underground you know i mean it's hard the way the world is now to have that perspective but there was a time where you had you know hip-hop was more underground than fucking new york hardcore was yeah yeah it's crazy like again it was music by kids ran by kids for sure you, you know what i mean and yeah. definitely the hardcore scene took that even to the next level because for me it was normal to go to the show the guy booking the show was 16 17 years old and the average age on stage was 15 or 18. you know i remember more even more than now that the, the the ages were way younger back then with the kids being in bands now yeah. it's like a, a young if i see a kid who's 16 17 in a band now i'm like yo does your parents know you're here you know, <laughs> well, well, that's that's one of the great things, um, you know, and, and I know I'm jumping all over the jumping all over the place here. But, you know, we started this um, A7 back to the New York Hardcore Roots series at, at the old A7, which 
of course, the proprietor, it's co-owned by a guy named Jesse Mallon, who was a teenager, 15, 16 years old, played in a New York hardcore band called Heart Attack. Later on, he was in Degeneration. And now he, you know, he's sort of like the Bruce Springsteen of the Lower East Side, you know, yeah, and these, these days. And we've been doing shows at, at the old day seven. He's, he's given me, you know, an, you know, he gave me full run of the place. And we started the shows. And the really great thing about it is a lot of young kids have been coming to the shows. I mean, young kids, 15, 16, 17, 18. Love and uh, that was really refreshing to see because, as you know, man, when you go out and you play and you just see, you know, moms and dads out there, it, yeah. you know, it's a little like, ah, come well, on. Well, the moms, maybe um, that's okay, <laughs> but, um, but that's another story. <laughs> but, yeah, no, no, I, I hear you, and, and that's what I like. That's I've been seeing you bring that back, and I get amped when I see the youth. I really yeah, do like sure. Like, I, one of my neighbors I had in my neighborhood, I live in, 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 in South Florida right. now, and um. I live in a more suburban kind of neighborhood. And at one point we had a neighbor, a kid who was playing drums and he'd be black, just playing drums loud throughout the neighborhood. And I'd get fucking happy. Like it didn't like people were probably getting pissed off. And I loved it. I was like, yeah, let the kid play. You know, the kids could be out doing some other bullshit. He's actually, you know, work. You're building yourself. Music is part of everybody. You know, and if you like it or not, a rhythm, we all move to a rhythm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, um, What's great is, 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 are you still in the place where I came and interviewed you that time? No, I'm at a, another, I, I have, I'm at my family's house now, but in okay. that area, that was more an apartment in, in, in. Cause I'm not, know. I'm not far from you right now. I'm up in Delray beach right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got to get up once this pan fuckery yeah. passes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but what you're saying, you know, when we were coming up, music had a different sort of um, vitality to it. It was like, you know, what are you, a rocker or a yeah. disco? You know, what the, you know, and, 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 you know, there'd be, you know, people would be riffing over the music you listen to. And, and we would, we would go to, we would go to record stores on Tuesday because that's when new records came out just to get, open it up and look at the artwork. Like this was important oh, yeah. stuff. And, you know, that, that's really lost today in, in, in the world that we live in. You know, there's no more records and, and art, you know, there's no more artwork, you know, the, you know open up yeah. a gatefold record and an insert, you know, and you, you know, you study those records and who produced it. And, and, you know, kids today, like, you know, my kid, like basically, you know, music is like uh, the background to, is what you hear in a video game, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, it, yeah. No, it's really crazy how that ended up working. That's true. The whole, you know, uh, music was definitely more because um, you had to find it. And then yeah. when you found it, you wanted to be the guy. I was always that dude. I wanted to be the guy who was up on the newest shit first, putting everybody else on. <laughs> I always got off on that. I don't know why. You could ask Ezek because he would come to me. Oh, yo, make me. First of all, I, I want to take um, props in being the first hardcore guy to make mixtapes. But of hardcore songs, because I would never put a full album directly <laughs> on the tape. I would chop it up and put like one Chromax song, an AM song, yeah. a Killing Time song, a Leeway song, then mix it up. And I would also make them with a, the pause switch so it, it couldn't blend, but it was close enough like the hip hop tapes. Right. So right. I try to, br I, I'm going to take credit for it, even if somebody else did it before <laughs> me. So, but. Exactly. You loved it so much. Even how you presented it to people meant something. You know, you wanted people to feel what you felt. That's the crazy thing about this. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. 
All right, so you went from singing in a band. What did you do first? Video? Did you do pictures first? Because to be a singer yeah. in a band and then to go say, I want to do something behind the camera is already a, a, not a common thing for singers because singers usually want to be in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you how the, history, how the history of it went down. Uh, first off, I come from a filmmaking family. My dad, uh, my dad was a film director. Uh, was is a film director. You know, my brother's a film director. My uncle was an editor. So my family, I, I grew up in, in basically the film business. Uh, my dad uh, won an Oscar with Mel Brooks in 1963 wow, for, 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 for best short film. But um, I, 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 didn't, my, I didn't set out to, uh, to be a producer or a director. I, I, I went to Boston. I went to college. I had a fantasy about being an actor, right? And, but once I got there and got into the hardcore thing and realized how much hard work it is, I kind of, and, but, to, but to be, to be honest, I got swept up in that early American hardcore thing that, that like swept me, swept me right up. So when I came back to New York, um, I had to get a job. And to me growing up job always meant something in the film business. Um, I, I worked in movie equipment, rental houses. I drove movie trucks, you know, I, I learned how to fix lights and all that. You know, I did met, I was a messenger, you know, in, for a movie equipment rental house delivering light. So, you know, as, you know, for, as a job, 17, 18, 19, 20, was always some, some kind of, you know, schlub work in the, film, in the film business. In the meantime, I did all the shows with The High and the Mighty. I did all the shows with Antidote. At a, cer- at a certain point, um, Paris Mayhew from the Cro-Mags approached me and said, because at the time I was a stage manager on a film stage, um, which I don't know, I don't know if you, if you might remember, it's where we shot that part of Punishment, uh, the Punishment video for Biohazard. It was a, it was a film stage on the, on the Upper West Side. And I was, this, I was the stage manager there. And um, my boss said to me, anytime you rent any of the equipment outside the studio, I'll split it with you. So I started doing these little jobs. My brother would come to town. I'd throw some lights and some stands in my van, you know. And as soon as I had enough money from that, I, I incorporated and, and created Stone Films NYC. So that was created already. It was, this is all sort of, this is all just timing. A lot of things in life are like that, right? Yeah. And I had Stone Films NYC and, 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 and I was doing these little gigs and it was just about at that time. Now, from playing shows with Antidote, playing CBGBs, playing all these shows, I, I met all these people in the scene. And this is during the golden age of music video, when, when everybody was, every band, you know, it was an exciting time and people were doing music videos. Paris Mayhew, who played guitar in the Chromags, approached me and said, hey, this band is asking me to do a video for them would you want to produce it for me? Uh-huh. It was at that time, the band turned out to be biohazard and the video turned out to be punishment. So it was right at that moment that he approached me. I had the company. I made the payment and got insurance because a production company in New York city has to have insurance. So I made the first insurance payment. You got to have a million dollar insurance policy so you can rent cameras and yeah. you can get permits from the mayor's office to shoot. Right. Right at that moment when he approached me, I had the money, I, I got the insurance, 
I produced the biohazard punishment video and that thing blew up. Now, the, the biohazard punishment video blew up. It was on Headbangers Ball 14 weeks in a row. But that's just the first part of the story because biohazard was managed by Rush Management. And Rush Management, you know, Russell, you remember Russell Simmons and Scott Koenig was in the mix. Yeah, and Koenig. Yeah. We Scott. were on Rush too near the, uh, you know, near the end. Yeah, yeah. And um, so Rush Management was managing biohazard. Rush Management also was managing a group called Onyx, right? And Onyx and, and Rush Management, they had enough sense over there to go, let's get the rock and roll white boys to do the slam video. So we did the Onyx slam video and it went to number one on MTV. And then after that, we went on this incredible run. Uh, me and Paris, you know, we did, we did a couple more biohazard videos. We did typo negative black number one. We did King's X dog man. Um, you know, we, we did a bunch of stuff like that, but even, even as that was moving along, you know, it, it, it got hard. It, it was a bit hard for us to work together. And I always had my eye, had my eye on, on doing things for myself and doing other things. And then at one point, at one point I saw you guys play. And when I saw you guys play, I was like, this is bringing back the original spirit of what I love about you know about hardcore yeah and that's when i approached you guys and said hey i want to i want to do a video with you guys and i'll never forget i never forget the look on your face you, you were just like what you, you yeah. just had what <laughs> yeah you know why because it was crazy um yeah because um at the time as you know um, um videos were just starting to pop off yeah and was it yeah. a very important still an important tool but back then you had to have a real budget yeah, you know, like you know, nothing was cheap. Nobody had nothing. You know how that was. And oh yeah, I remember. Um, Roadrunner had um, I heard what they spent on a Sepultura video. Right, and what there was, and and then I was like, um, that's that's more money than you know than we even know how to you know write. You know, we don't even know how to write that number down with with a with a pen. But then yep. um, it got to the point where um, we had um, you know, we knew. You know, the every if you were gonna be a band that was gonna try to compete, you needed to do a video. And we actually had you know, shout out to Roadrunner. They always looked out, but we went up to yeah. them and said, Yo, you know, we're looking to get a video. And they were basically told us no. You know, they were like, Yo, we can't because all their money was tied up in typo and sepultura. Right. So we said, forget it. That's out of the question. Oh, but look, all the video was tied up in, in, in typo and sep uh, in sepultura and typo. Yeah, yeah. It, whose video I just did, and and uh, bio a bunch of biohazard vid videos I just did. I mean, Sepultura. W w I mean, I mean, uh, Roadrunner, like you said, they 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 were they weren't evil, you know. They yeah. they, they you know they, they, they you know why they really the, the the heart and soul of that label, like any label, is going to become some corporate thing or whatever. But I got to say this: the people that were involved at Roadrunner, because we were on them for years, and we'd go to the office all the time. Yep. Those were music lovers. You know, everybody there, Sophie, everybody. I remember a lot and, uh, of them. Big, big Scott Gibbons. Yeah, yeah, of course. I haven't seen him in years. You know, all those guys had love for us. That's right. You know, we knew, you know, we were the little hardcore band there, but everybody showed us love because yep. we may have not brought the millions of record sales, but we put them on the map of being down with the underground. That's right. You know and, what I mean? And, and, and labels like that know how to work that angle. 
Yeah. You know, they, get, they got some street, they got the street cred, which pulls in, which legitimatizes them for, for a lot of the big bands. But, you know, we, we, we decided, you know, listen, the way I roll and I still roll this way, and, and it all goes back to that original, like, you know, hardcore ethos. Like, yo, I want to do a video. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to make it happen. And the video that, that I did with you guys, the film that I use was like the leftover, like I had a little bit of film left over from, from Onyx Slam and like yeah. half a roll from Biohazard and like a quarter of a roll from Typo Negative. And we, we, started, we started the Down By Law video and, um, you know, we shot, we shot outside the Puck building down there off Houston Street in the alley yeah. there, yeah. right? We, we did that one day and that, that with my brother. My brother shot that. And, uh, you know, we oh, were that just... that was your brother. I didn't even know. I didn't put it together there. I yeah, met your yeah, brother, that was my brother. On, but I didn't know. Yeah, my brother, Evan B. Stone. Yep. Who, by the way, my brother, Evan B. Stone, uh, does that show um, on uh, the Discovery Channel, Expedition Unknown. That's his show. Oh, dope. I've seen, I, I seen the eye. I haven't watched the show, but I've yeah, seen Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we shot in the street there with you guys and... You know, with some of your, some of your boys, some of your graffiti guys, right? Yeah. Like, you know, the one um, and only MQ one. Yep, yep. But you know, you know what? What I was gonna tell you about that whole thing was, I want everybody to know. I had told this. We were talking about the same story with Maddie and Willie. We were like, um, I remember you. I don't remember where it was, but you saying you wanted to do the Madball video, and we were like, Yeah, we don't got no money. And you, and I remember you told me, you told us, you were like. I don't care. I want to be the one that says I did the first Madball video. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I remember that day before shooting, we were all at Stigma's house and we weren't treating the day that day. We didn't treat it as serious as we should have, because right. the, the reason was, was we, we felt like we knew you were looking out for us and we almost felt a little bit like, yo, this is kind of a handout kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, people feeling sorry for us and kind of <laughs> like, yo, let's, let's give these guys a little video. It was, you know, we loved what you did. You know, we would always go to, you know, all the video shoots and all that. And then, I, you know, I remember being like, oh, man, uh, yeah, like, you know, we got, we, let's go for it kind of thing. You know, what's the worst that could happen? And mm -hmm. that ended up being like one of the most iconic videos for us. You yo, know, that to this day, you know, people are like, yo, that's the hardest Madball video. It's, it's, for me, when, there's certain videos I look at still, and it, it, it just still, it like, it, it gives me goosebumps. Biohazard Shades of Grey is yeah. one of them. Great. Madball Down by Law is another one. And, and I remember af after that, and it took a while, because we shot in the street, and then like, I came to a CB show you guys were playing. Yeah. And it was like months later, you know, to shoot some more. And I remember the big thing there because Agnostic Front wasn't playing back then anymore. And, you know, Freddie, I think I'm assuming, I don't remember, but I think it was Freddie was like, yo, we have to get Roger in the video. Yep. And, 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 we, and Willie had the Agnostic Front road case and we shot Yeah, yeah hell yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, you know and, and we put the elements together and, um, you know, that, that's what, that's what the Down By Law video, and, and you know, back to the Roadrunner thing, to give them credit, they saw the video, they loved the video, and they bought it from me for, for you know, a couple of bucks, nothing crazy, you know, yeah. but, you know, they covered the cost, you know, I wanted it out there, and yeah. we all wanted it out there, so, I, you know, I ended up, you know, they, they, they gave me a couple bucks, and, and, uh, and they did that, and, and I will say this, and I mentioned it before, and I'll probably mention it again many times, is that in the business that I'm in, 
um, there's been a lot of instances where I've done videos for bands sort of when they were coming up, right? And then the video might help them get to the next level or, or, or whatever. When they get to that next level, when it comes time for the next video, where there's a couple of box or whatever, they kind of go with the flavor of the day. Yeah. And that's happened many times. And in your, in, in your case, in the Madball case, when you did the next record and Roadrunner actually had a couple of bucks, you guys said, yo, Drew Stone's got to do the video. And, and th that always, I always appreciate that. You, know, you guys did that. Biohazard did that. I don't want to mention a couple of bands that didn't, but that will always, I'll always cherish that. that, that in my world, that means a lot. Hell yeah, man. And I'm glad because for us, that meant a lot, you know, especially back then. People, you know, being on Roadrunner, people automatically also assumed we had the run of the, uh, of the company. <laughs> I'm like, yo, we pay for the toilet paper in that company. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, um, you know, we had a bus to ask for anything we got. So when yeah. anybody who was doing some next level stuff wanted to work with us, we always knew it because they really felt what we were doing because yeah. they, they didn't have to be. doing. You, you were doing way bigger stuff at the time. You didn't have to do the Mabo video, spend time lugging shit. And I remember you telling me, yo, we, I go, yeah, I got some equipment. Look it, I got the equipment. I rented it from Monday to, I, the, the, the shoot was from Monday to Wednesday. I got to return it, you know, Sunday or whatever it was. We got these two days to make it happen. And it was, you know, what's more gorilla than Madball? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we used to, we did, I used to do that a lot, man. You know, and, and then, and eventually me and Paris, you know, we ended our relationship. He went his way, I went my way. And I just, I just continued on as a production company and as a director. And I went on to have, you know, a long you know, career with music videos. And then I had another whole career doing extreme sports films. I, I did all the, the urban cycles. Yep. I did all the urban street bike warriors films. I did nine films in seven years. I also directed the MTV uh, True Life episode, I, I Live to Ride. And then when, when, that's, when that sort of cycled out, you know, the last couple of years, I've been, I've been doing music documentaries. I did... I did uh, Who the Fuck Is That Guy, The Fabulous Journey of Michael Lago, which Great. is on Netflix right now. Shout and, out and of to course, Lago. yeah. And of course, I did, I did um, the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, which, which really, I, I love that film. Yeah, know? yeah, it's great, man. I love, we pop that on all the time. You know, yep. again, it's like, you know, um, um, behind the music, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Right. You know, you could kind of pop it in, watch as much as you want, and from, you could start it and end it at any point. And it's like, it keeps you. So to, so to answer your original question, I kind of backed into it a little bit. You know what I mean? I yeah. went up there to be an actor. That sort of didn't work. I got, into, I, I, I got into music. But from my affiliations in music, I ended up falling into being a, a film producer and then a director. And then, you know, now, now that I've been doing it, I, you know, I love it. And, and, of course, I still play music. Antidote still plays every now and then. I, you know, I play music, you know. Yep, and um, I remember um, then right after the Don Law, like you said, we ended up having uh, getting a little bit of a budget to do a real video, and we were like, we want Drew Stone, and then yep. we ended up doing the Pride video. That, when, yeah, and that that was great. I mean, that that what a was, crazy day. <laughs> I remember it being really hot. It was really hot that day. It, we did that shit in the devil's fucking sauna. It, it was like the hottest day in the world. And I remember being out there like at eight in the morning. First yeah. of all, I don't even know how the fuck we all got up that early. Yeah. And yeah. we actually all showed up semi on time, I think. 
Yeah, and, and, that, and that, that location down there, which was on the Brooklyn side there, you know, it, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. It's been totally gentrified, you know, that, that area. I think that's Red Hook, Brooklyn, yep. right? That's yep. Red Hook. And, you know, that whole spot there where I, I, you know, we shot a couple of videos there. I mean, because it was a wasteland. It was like a big wasteland. It, it covered, you know, 10 blocks. Yeah. And, but, you Rubble. know, that shot. Yeah, that shot with Freddie in the chair, like that's that's fucking that's one of my favorites. I yo, know, I still if you want if you want a connection, a little bit of a connection, um, and and it, it's it's a bit of a you know the Freddie in the chair shot in the Pride video. Go take a look at the take video I did with Willie with those guys sitting on the park bench. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like one of my things. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. There's a lot of cool shots and 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 you know. I, I got to say, because we're tying it all in here, is that when the take kind of got rolling, which of course is Will, Will Shepler, you know, who was, you, you played with cool. you guys in Mad Ball and, and he was Great in that band. Front, and, and, and Scott Roberts, who, who was in Biohazard before that, Monsters, when they got their, their record done and they were thinking video, it was Willie that was like, yo, we got to call Drew Stone. And Willie reached out to me and... I ended up doing not one but two two videos for those guys, and I did I did the the take I did Elitist and I did Revolution Now, and and I gotta say about I, I gotta I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some props to those guys too to Scott and Willie because those guys didn't sit around and wait for a handout, you know yeah. they, they they you know Scott wrote some great songs they recorded them in their freaking rehearsal room and it sounds great, and then when it came time to do for a video. They, they, they paid for it themselves, you know? Yeah. They weren't going to wait for something. You know, those guys work. They got a couple bucks. They were, they're smart enough. I mean, and, and listen, we're all, we've all been around the globe a couple times. You all have some sense. They knew that in order to get, you know, kind of where they want to go, we're going to need a video. The record label ain't going to pay for it. Yeah. You chip in half, I chip in half. Yo, Drew Stone, what can you do? We worked it out. And, yo, that, that band just took off. Yeah, no, they definitely got a good jump start. You know, they're a great band. Yeah. And definitely, if you don't invest in yourself, how you expect somebody that's to right. want to invest in you? You know, that's, that's also right. being um, OGs in the game and being, th you know, getting through it. And, you know, all these years, they learn how to make things happen. Well, and, I, think, uh, I think also, like, I got to say that you guys, too, I always, I always feel like uh, uh, having a good work ethic is really important. And one of the, when I, when I first, you know, uh, came into this thing, one of the people I noticed who had an incredible work ethic was Roger Moret. And, you know, exactly. his, work, his work ethic is legendary. I mean, he's the first guy I know that, that you know, like had a van and was, was, was leave, going out of town in his van. He was always hustling. He had an incredible work ethic. And I know that, you know, that filtered down to Freddie. His, Absolutely. you know, his brother. And so whenever I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I see Madball and, and, and I respect your hustle. You guys are always doing it. You know, you're not scared and you're always running at it. And I know like that work ethic, you know, was handed down. And, and that, that's what it is. You, you, you don't have to be the most talented a bunch in the world. But if you have a great work ethic and you keep at it, and, and, and you keep running at it, 
you know, it's going to work out. And, and that's how I feel like Biohazard made it. You know, they had a great work ethic. Well, the first time I saw Biohazard at CBGB's, it, they weren't very good. They you just know what, weren't. You know what's funny about that? As you say that, and you're right, you know, definitely the work ethic we got was, I'll never tell Roger himself, but hands down <laughs> comes from him because he yeah. taught us about, you know, from doing the merch books to everything, to always paying off expenses, making sure. No, we never owed money to nobody. Right. AF never owed nobody no money. They thought because crazy punk rock hardcore dudes, they're just running bills and not knowing That's what right. they're doing. They kept, you know, we learned all that shit from Roger. And we, we, we learned the same way because we're family business. Ain't nobody yep. keeping us alive but ourselves. That's right. You know what I mean? And um, the, that, the thing about Biohazard, which is pretty bugged up, I first saw one of their early shows in Queens. It was right by. Um, it was crazy. They had that um, the old the punk rock drummer, and oh um, Mio, Anthony Mio, Mio. And, yeah, and, and Evan was still rocking um fringes on his leather jacket. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> but I remember we all because we all went out to see them. We were like a hardcore show in Queens, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> and um, but I remember one of their first shows at CB's. They were giving out free T-shirts with their logo on it. They were just right. handing it out. And I remember a couple of my boys had this shirt on, and I'm like, yo, what is that? And they're like, I don't know. I think it's a band, but it's a cool symbol. And it was basically the promo machine, you know what I mean? And yeah. then they ended up grinding and doing all that stuff. And um, you, you brought up a good point about bands and getting into debt, you know, with labels and things like that. And, you know, early on, bands don't really understand the game. And once you're in debt to a label, it's hard to pay it off because you're really only getting a fraction of the record sales. You're only getting a fraction, a fraction of, of stuff. So you might be like, yo, we, we sold, you know, we sold a bunch of records, but you, but you got to recoup the recording costs. You got to recoup the tour support. You got to recoup the toilet paper in the office. You got to recoup all this stuff. Mabble. Yeah. So, so but the best thing to do is never let yourself get into heavy debt. Absolutely. But, you, you know, but also, another thing a lot of bands don't understand, and, and, and I think, and I don't want to mention any names, but a lot of bands kind of imploded is that, yo, everybody signed that first crappy record deal. Yeah. Including Metallica. Yeah. You know, you got to work your way through it. You know, stay, Facts. stay true to the game. You know, if you're going to start crying and bitching and pointing fingers about the shitty record deal, you you signed, come on, everybody signed that shitty Roadrunner record deal. Facts. Hypo Negative, Sepultura, Life of Agony, Mad Ball, Fear Factory. You know, what do you think? You're the only one that you know, signed exactly. that, that crappy deal? How many crappy deals, uh, Century Media deals? But, yep. you know, a lot of bands just imploded, uh, you know, un under, under that weight. But you got to work your way out of it. And, when, and when, you, when, you, when you work your way out of it, finally, on the, when you do that third record or your fifth record and you're off that label, it, you know, now you're, now you're in a position where you can, you, can, you can write your own ticket. Yeah, people don't understand. You got you know, you to keep grinding. If you, if, you know, yeah. if you let somebody else, you know, um, run your lifeline, you know, that's you putting your life in somebody else's hands, which you should never do. You know what I mean? You got to, we signed, you, you know, the guy who, who, you know, who gave us our record contract, he was a, a, a lawyer, a plumber, you know, for like building shit, you know, like a lawyer for like the plumbing in your building. Like, I, I don't uh -huh. even know what call them. He wasn't a music lawyer. He was a friend of the family through Willie. He was like, he looked at it and was like, well, yeah, it's a basic uh, contract. And we were like, Roadrunner wants to sign us. We don't even think we're a real band. 
fuck it, we'll sign anything, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But um, I, I want to ask you this because we got a little time. I know you got to get out of here in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you this. So what you the, the whole New York Hardcore Chronicle thing. So I know how you why you started it and all that stuff. Like um, how many shows into it already are you? I'm I'm about we're we're, we're closing in on the fiftieth show. Um, the fiftieth show is coming oh, up, and, and the fiftieth show is with Don Airy from Deep Purple. Oh, um, Don Airy, Deep Purple. He played it with Ozzy Osbourne. You know, he did the organ in the beginning of uh, Mr. Crowley. Yeah, and you know, um, at this point, um, the show is just very successful, and I'm very blessed and very uh, you know, I just have a lot of gratitude that it it really it caught it caught the wind and. People around the world love the show and I have sponsors that sponsor the show and I have, I set up a Patreon page, you know, and I have people that, that support me as, as an artist. So it's really become my job, which is, which is a great job to have, you know, and listen, as you know, I mean, like these shows are, you know, it's not just fun and games. Like I wake up any day, any day I have a show, the whole day is spent setting up the show, researching the show, social media for two hours. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. I'm not complaining. I'm, 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 I'm fortunate that I'm doing something that I love. Um, but, it, you know, it's really great. And I have a, lo- I have a laundry list of, of people that want to come on, on the show. And also I'm really fortunate because like we were talking about, just my history with everybody you know, in, in the New York hardcore scene and, and really in the American hardcore scene, all the years that I put in doing music videos and, and playing shows, yo, I could pick up the phone and call a hundred people yeah. from, from this one to that one and be like, yo, you want to come on my show? Yeah, sure, Drew, anything for you. Yeah. And like, so in a lot of ways, what's happened with this show after building the YouTube Stone Films NYC page and building the New York Hardcore Chronicles page and putting out the New York Hardcore Chronicles film and all this stuff. I'm sort of like, you know, coming up with my chips and, and like cashing them in a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, all the stuff that I established now, the fucking show is, is ju- just took off and it's great. And I'm looking forward to you coming on uh, yeah. next week. I've yeah. been waiting. I've been, I've been saying to myself, all right, I'm going to wait. I ain't going to call Drew for nothing. <laughs> Let's see this motherfucker calls me. Let's say, now nah, he's not the, what do you call it, the, the Regis of, uh, of New York Hardcore. Rest in peace, Regis. Yeah. What I was going to say is, same thing with me. So I had this podcast a bunch of years ago, but because technology, I'm not very technical. It was hard for me to keep up by myself. So now technology caught up with everything. And yeah. um, long story short, during this whole pen fuckery going on, like everybody else, you know, shit starts fucking with your head and also making you want, you know, maybe do things you never got to do again. And people been telling me the same thing. Yo, you got to restart it. You got to restart it. Yeah. And one of the things that got me amped again was watching your show. I well, was like, you. man. Yeah. You know, because again, it's like our um, uh, CNN. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's kind of it's, uh, it's it's happening real often enough where it's, it stays up to date and something in our world you know what i mean and not just for it's from the kids to the grown-ups you know for sure I mean? and and you know for guys like you and me who are who are, who are somewhat socially inclined yeah. it's just a, a great way to stay connected with the community and the culture that we've helped build that we really love you know it's like you know i'm like quarantined you know um, yeah. i'm in i'm in perpetual quarantine 
Like I just came down to Florida for two weeks and here in Florida, they're like, you got to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. Today I'm going back after two weeks. I'm in New York and they're going to be like, you have to quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. I go back and forth. I'm just, I'm in perpetual quarantine, but I don't feel alone. I do my show and a world, a, a world of people are out there and that I communicate with and, and that watch the show and, and I, and, and, and I, and I communicate. I'm also doing a new film. My, my new film is starting to, to oh, head down the home ass. stretch. And, and you know, I was in the middle East last year shooting and I'm really trying to do, really trying to mix it up a little bit and do something different here with my new film. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Um, with the show, what, what, what do you have a goal with how many shows you would like to hit to be your next milestone? You got 50 coming up. Is there a number in your head you say, yo, man, I, you know, if I hit 100, I'll be, you know. No, I think, I think that, uh, you know, in this ever-changing world in which we live in, right, um, things have changed. The, 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 the pieces on the board have changed. It's not going back to the way it was. I mean, the world that we knew before this, it's not going back to that. I'm not saying it's going to be insanely, radically different, but – you know, things are, things are going to be different. And, and for me, uh, hosting a show like this, a show that's successful, it's interesting how things kind of go full circle because yeah. I started out wanting to be an actor. And here yeah. I am now doing a show where I'm sort of a bit of a personality. Yeah. Also, my new film is very similar. My new film is, is, is my musical journey. To the, to the Middle East. And, and I'm sort of, it's sort of like a, I'm like the Anthony Bourdain of, of music, you know? Yeah. So in a way, I'm sort of hosting, hosting this film also. So I have a belief that, you know, uh, it's going to, all this is going to take me somewhere. It might be, it might be, who knows? You know, it's, you know, it reminds me of a little bit, Max Kellerman, who's a boxing guy. Of course, who knows so Max? Started out on Manhattan cable TV. I know. I remember. Yeah, I right? remember the kid because he was a young kid who was That's so right. into boxing. That's right. And he was very opinionated and, and you yep. know, charismatic. Yep. So, so he, he had a love for it. He started, you know, on Manhattan cable TV and eventually people see this stuff and it, and, and it works out. I don't know with the show and with the film. I don't know where the, I don't know where this could go. I really enjoy it. And I'm learning a lot. Also, the amount of research I do into each person and all the stuff, it's like, you know, I'm starting to, uh, you know, I'm a real, real uh, musical historian yeah. at, at this point. So, um, and, and, I, and I enjoy it. It's my passion. No, definitely. And that's what I was going to ask you. I know you got to get out of here soon. Let I got everybody... a couple minutes. I, I, right. I, got, I got a couple more minutes. I'm good. All right, good. No, I was going to, because I was going to ask you also, um, like you said, you have that new film coming up. Is yep. there, that's, that's your latest one that you're dropping. Is there any ideas for anything else after that? Or you kind of take projects as something till something kind of gets to you and gives you a light to fire in your ass. You know, there's always, there's always, a, there's always a couple of things that, that I have half an eye on, you know, and, um, but the film I'm doing now, uh, is is a little bit different. It's a little bit of a departure. It's not a hardcore film. It's more of a. It's 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 called the Jews and the Blues, uh -huh. and it's real. It's really about um, my musical journey and my trip to the Middle East and and uh, you know that sort of thing. So so but but there's hardcore elements in it, and and so but it, because because I'm a hardcore guy, right? So and so there there are some hardcore faces in it that that you that you recognize. But so, but I really wanted to do something different, you know, because after doing 
XXX All Ages, XXX The Boston Hardcore Film, The New York Hardcore Chronicles Film, Who the Fuck Is That Guy, The Fabulous Journey of Michael Lago, The New York Hardcore Chronicles Film 1.5. I was like, yo, as an artist, I got to do something different. So I wanted, to, I wanted to mix it up and do something a little bit different. It's much more stylized, this film. And, you know, a, a little bit of an influence was um, Ian, Ian McFarlane's Agnostic Front film, which was very, The Godfathers of Hardcore, which was very stylized. Yeah. It's like, I felt like, yo, I, I, I want to do something more stylized. Gotcha. Not, to, not sort of like my basic sort of thing. So this, this film is, is, is pretty stylized. It has an incredible story and we're, ed- we're editing it now. It's, it's heading down the home stretch. But you know, these things could, you never know at the yeah. end, you know, you might get hung up trying to clear some fucking music for six months, you know, but, 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 it, but it's getting there. But as far as like stuff in the future, you know, there's always a couple of projects that, you know, my, on my wish list, you know, I tried to get a Misfits documentary off the ground. That would have been but, cool. But that didn't happen. You know, those guys are just, they have their own ideas and their own things. And, you know, but I, I, I gave it a shot. Um, yeah. You know what I'd like to do that, that, that'll never happen? It, 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 like, I, I would do, these are like my passion projects. You know what I mean? Like, I'd like to do a Cro-Mags documentary. Yeah. You know? I know what you mean. Yeah, no, for sure. Because there's an incredible story there. And, you know, and, and it's not just the beef, you know, all, the, all that, that shit. It's just the band, New York City, that yeah. time that they came up, you know. And special all that. band, for special sure. Ba- special band, really you know. inf- influential band, you know. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would do that in a second, but that band's got a lot of personalities. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, and, the band uh, got a whole lot of everything. Shout you know, out to Blood Clot and Mackie. What up, Mackie? <laughs> You know, um, I, so, so that, that, that's always right. also uh, fairly recently, I was reaching out to uh, Phil Anselmo and seeing like what's up with him because he has a really interesting story, you know, yeah, but, uh, you know, that, that sort of didn't didn't get legs under it. So, you know, th- that's some music stuff. But look, I'm always I'm always um, involved in New York stuff. I also have a dramatic script called Finders Keepers that um, is sort of like a real you know, run and gun, grimy New York script. You know, I could just see like Peter Green in it. And, you know, like one of those yeah, films, like, like, sure. like, yeah, you know, like, it, it, uh, you know, influenced that um, a, a film called Laws of Gravity from, of course, back, from back in the day, uh, but that Nick Gomez directed. And, um, you know, Peter Green was in that. So like a real, it's a real grimy, you know what film I really love that inspired me? Did you see that film, The Green, the green yeah, Room? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that little, film, that film, film inspired in me. Yeah. There was a little shout out in that video of certain people uh, we know, if you listen. That, to, um, to the, in, in The Green Room? Yes. Really? Uh, certain, a certain group of people that. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, which I was, said somebody in that, who wrote that script. Whoa. Might have caught it once. <laughs> Wow. I might have. Yeah. So that film, like it was a small film and it was a smart film. Yes. Like, yo, it was smart, man. Like I I saw that and I was like, man, I could have done. Why didn't I fucking think of that? Yeah. You know, so. You know what I was going to ask you quick? This is what I wanted to also let you know to, to point something out to everybody about, you know, same thing, how, you know, we do things, you know, you know, we do things out of, you know, out of passion and whatever. But none of this shit is free. 
You know what I mean? There's stuff that we got to pay for. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why I like, you know, like, you know, exp you know, give a little quick explanation about, you know, you, you ask, you know, when we ask for uh, the Patreon and, and people to to yeah. donate to the show that none of this is free. They think people think putting stuff up on iTunes or or, or these applications are free. Just, you know, a quick rundown of, of where what, what people are getting for their money. Well, absolutely. You know, like the world we live in now, it's crazy because, you know, people think music is free. Music should be free. Uh, films should be free. And listen, I spend fucking two to three years making a film. I fucking go. We have a world premiere of it. I come home the next day, turn on the computer and somebody's got it up on YouTube for free. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, come on, man. You know, yeah. some, some kid is trying to impress his friends or whatever. It's like, yo, man, yeah. like, yo, and I'm not trying to do a money grab here, but it's the same way that, yo, some motherfuckers out there are plumbers, some are electricians. I'm a filmmaker. This is how I exist. This is how I feed my kids. This is how I pay my rent. So why is it okay? Is, is being a plumber for free? Is yeah. being an electrician? Do, do, you, do you get that work for free? Then why do you take my work for free? Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, that's a big part of it. So, you know, it's a, it's a weird world we live in now where people, you know, expect and, and grab all this stuff, you know, all this stuff for free. And, and you know, bands struggle with that now. It, it's, it's a different world now, especially with this whole COVID thing, because bands like yours, you need to be out there playing. Yeah. That's your bread and butter. I know you guys, you know, these European summer festivals, that's, that's your bread. Lifeline. That's your bread and butter, man. You guys go over there and kill it. And, and, and that sort of, that, that, that covers you for a minute. That enables you to do the, the, little, the little shit in, 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 in exactly. America. We don't make big bucks, but we do it. It balances out. Exactly. That creates a balance. The, the big festivals where you make a few bucks balances out sort of those Midwest shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, 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 or the or other show. Those Florida shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's every other shows, you know what that's, I mean? That's right. That, that's, that's what right. I try to, I, I want, I like people to know that, you know, with stuff like, you know, everybody go check out Drew's Patreon and all that yeah. other stuff. And um, that none of this is for free. We do it for the love of it, but none of this is free from, you know, app, you know, applications to, you know, uh, uh, Wi-Fi to, getting cameras or getting to a location well, well the, the other the, the other thing which which i heard somebody actually i heard somebody say this a while ago is you know there's no such thing as free like you know when somebody says hey will you guys play a free show what you're asking is will you guys spend money out of your pocket for gas for yes. tolls to rent the gear to to da, 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 va, va, va. so free means yeah. hey you guys pay for it. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's what, that's True. what, when somebody says free, that's why the thing with benefits too, whenever I hear benefit, yeah. I'm like, oh fuck. You know, like, I, and I'm from the old hardcore school where there was another benefit every week and every other week you'd be like, where'd the money go? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. hey, you know, it's, it's like, sure, there was legitimate, legitimate benefits. Yeah. But whenever I hear benefit, I'm like, eee. Yeah. You know, because so many times it just, it just, you know, flits away. But as far as with me goes, um, if anybody is interested, you know, I do a show, the New York Hardcore Chronicles live. It streams live on YouTube on Stone Films NYC. 
and it streams live on Facebook on the New York Hardcore Chronicles page. After it streams live, it's archived on YouTube on my Stone Films NYC page. I have a Patreon page. Uh, you could go on Patreon and just search, put in my name, Drew Stone, and it'll come up. Patreon, Patreon, be a, be a Patreon on Patreon. <laughs> my pa pa Patreon, what it, what it is is it's different tiers. There's a $2 tier, a $5 tier, a $10 tier, you know, a $25 tier, and it, it's monthly, so you put your card down. So for $2 a month, it unlocks the whole thing. For me as a filmmaker, I'm unreleasing all kinds of never-before-seen footage. Um, out, outtakes from uh, the Alago film, outtakes from the Hardcore film, music video outtakes. That's I released, I, re I, I put something up there um, from back in the day from that, from that Cat Club show in 93 that, that you're standing there on stage uh, uh, where I had the Stone Films one-year anniversary party, yeah. and we did that whole all-star jam thing there. Yep. Yep, I, I re that was never before seen. I, I released it. So I'm putting all this never, because to tell you the truth, I'm tired of putting my shit on the internet and then having it passed around like, like, and not even getting credited for it. Yeah. You know, that's one thing the internet has really ramped up in the past couple years. In the beginning, you put your shit up there, maybe, you know, yeah. one or two people would take it and put, put your name. Now people just grab that shit. They don't give a fuck. And yeah. it's just like, you see it on 10 different sites. So I'm done putting my like real special exclusive, you know, content on, on the internet. I've, I've created sort of like my own channel, my own exclusive channel, which is my Patreon page. And I just, I just, just this morning, I put an excerpt of the interview I did with Johnny Rotten um, for the Alago film, him talking about New York City and stuff like that. So go check out my Patreon page. Also, if you have Netflix, watch my film, Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Lago. If you have Amazon Prime, watch the New York Hardcore Chronicles film or XXX All Ages, XXX The Boston Hardcore film. If you have just straight Amazon, the New York Hardcore Chronicles film 1.5 is on there. The good shit, Drew Stone. Yeah, man. I'm glad I was able to talk some shit with you. For sure. And, and definitely, I'm glad. Everybody, go support Drew. Go support the show. Um, hardcore people, we, we're here to build. That's people right. forget that. As crazy as we are, other, other, other parts of our DNA were meant to tear shit down, but the hardcore scene came together to rebuild. And that's what we got to do by giving back, supporting. Nothing is for free. We give you something. So one hand washes the other. And we can start with washing these nuts. No, but <laughs> no, but on the real, yeah, definitely support the movement, Drew. I love you. Good looking out. Keep doing what you're doing. Your motivation for everybody, for a lot of us, for me, you motivated me to get my ass back on this. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing, and hopefully, we can see you so we could get up soon down here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love you too, and I want to thank you for having me. We had a couple of laughs, and that's what it's all about. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon. You too, Drew. We talk, all right? All right. Peace, Bye -bye. Drew. Peace. <laughs>